It's a fascinating thing. Uh, among the nearly 40, uh, around 40 parables that Jesus tells in his earthly ministry, one-third of them address the topic of money or possessions or wealth, uh, you know, mammon, as it were, uh, the, 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 the work and the challenge of, of living and uh, going through this life. And it's an interesting thing. It, sometimes people say, you know, it seems like maybe more than it needs. But when you stop and think about it, Jesus understood that both in his culture and continuing still in our day, the fact of the matter is, it's inescapable. Our lives require money. Uh, there, there, there's work to be done in order to live. If you want to eat, you have to work. You have to earn. Uh, if you need a house, if you want to go places, you have to spend money. And in order to do that, you have this uh, inseparable interaction in life with money and possessions. And what Jesus understood, reoccurring and coming back to the theme over and over, is the dangers of these interactions becoming something that they were never intended to be. It's the sin in us that can latch on and make idols or begin to draw confidence or identity or um, to, to depend upon riches or finances in ways that we were never wired up by God to do. And so Jesus has a, uh, a reoccurring emphasis in this area. And so we find ourselves here once again as we just move verse by verse we begin to kind of pick up these areas of emphasis or where Jesus loops back around and says, now let me tell you this another way. Um, so this morning, uh, we come back to this, this phrase that is printed on our money. I was, I was fascinated to study the history of that this week. Uh, there was a pastor in the 1800s who wrote a letter requesting that we honor the Lord uh, we, in our currency. And uh, the guy who was running the... Uh, the printing, uh, what do you call that uh, department? The mint, yeah, the, he was overseeing the mint. He was a believer. He got this letter and he said, this is a great idea. And so little by little, this, this began to, to be put in place. And then certainly in the 1950s, uh, Congress and the president signed this into a law that would be across all of our currency and uh, made, it, made it more solid. And uh, really, by God's grace, it's still there, believe it or not, still there. And so it's a great reminder. It's in God we trust, not money, not the currency, not the coin, but the God who has given this for our use to be good stewards. And so the title of my sermon is The Prodigal Manager. Now, we left off with the prodigal sons most recently in chapter 15, and I thought the, the context or the connection here, really Jesus flows into chapter 16 here with a manager who was uh, referred to as very dishonest. And so in this sense, he was a, uh, a wasteful or prodigal manager. Well, let's begin with the first couple verses here. I, I call this a squandering steward, a squandering steward. And uh, Jesus also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Okay, now we've got to identify this shift here. The prodigal son's parable was addressed primarily to the Pharisees and scribes. Now, they're probably still in the audience, but Jesus is now turning his focus, and with this parable, he's talking to us. 
He's talking to disciples, to, to followers, to believers, to those who are uh, called to, to, to follow Christ with all that we are. And so just, it's important to have that in our minds. He's addressing us as primary and really secondary are the scribes and Pharisees and those out in the crowds. So this is to us. He says there's a rich man who had a manager. Now, this man was quite rich because in this day, if you were uh, so rich that you had to bring in a manager to take care of your operations, it means that you weren't there. Okay, so this man brings in a, a very trusted man to oversee the operations of his affairs. And then he's off working on business ventures and traveling, doing whatever he's doing. But he's gone most of the time. And this guy is there overseeing all of these things. So not only is he given the responsibility of keeping the business going, managing the operations, which would include the people, the staff, um, all of that work on a day-to-day basis, but he's also representing the, the master, the, the rich man. He's there on the master's behalf, interacting with clients and uh, potential uh, partners in this work. And so it's critical that he represent this man well and conduct his affairs in a way that's consistent with the man who has hired him. Uh, you think in, in this of, of Joseph and Potiphar, maybe another biblical example uh, of how Potiphar brought Joseph in and basically said, I want you to be my steward. I want you to manage my household. And Joseph had, pr- had proved himself trustworthy, uh, a man of integrity, who could be looked to to tell the truth and be honest. And really, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the critical piece, isn't it? Your character, your trustworthiness, uh, your honesty in these exchanges is the very foundation of the function of your job in that role. Well, we've got a bit of a problem because the rich man who hired this manager has hired the wrong guy. And it comes to him that this was so. Charges were brought. Uh, that's a very strong word. Uh, diabolos. It's a, actually the, the, the word diabolical uh, is where we get that. So these charges were very severe that were brought against this man that he was wasting. He was a wasteful manager. He was incompetent. He was terrible at his job. And what's interesting is this man hears about these things from those who had interacted out there. And so he comes and he tells this man, uh, this is what he says, he called him and said to him, what is it that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. Now, this is, this is the you're fired moment. He is fired, but what's interesting about this exchange is the master of the house says, I I want to hear from you what you've done. Turn in an account of your management. Now, it's not going to weigh one way or another. The man is still fired. He's he's been terminated. And actually, it's quite unwise for him to do it the way he did. He says, you're fired. Now go and get everything figured out and, and then get it back to me. Not a good idea, right? Not wise of the master to do that. What's interesting about the story is it's so, it's just so real world. It's just like, wait, why would the master do that? That's a terrible idea. Why would he hire this guy in the first place? So 
we can get lost overanalyzing parables like this, but the main thing is, is we've got to get to the heart of this. What is it that Jesus is communicating to us in this story as he tells it to, to us, to the disciples? This man, this steward, the squanderer, has lost his job. He has lost his home. This is where he lives, right? This is his, his uh, abode. He dwells here. He, he runs the operations. He has now lost his income and... Maybe most importantly, in a shame-honor society, he has lost his reputation. The word is out. It's people know. There's, there's no hiding the, the, the fact that this man is incompetent. He is a squanderer. He's wasteful. And he's been fired. This is a public problem for the man who has lost his job, home, income, and reputation. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? It's interesting how Jesus tells the story. So verses 3 through 7, a shrewd strategy. Keyword, shrewd. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. So it's as if he sits down with himself and has a little conversation. All right, what are we going to do? We're in a real mess here. We've got a problem. Uh, okay, I, I'm, I've been fired. I, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do from here forward. And his conclusion is, digging? No, that's too hard. All right? This is a white-collar guy, a white-collar guy. Right? Digging? What do you mean? These hands? No, couldn't do it. Begging? Too humbling. Can't beg. So he's got these, these two options that come to mind. And he says, neither of these are going to work for me. I need a plan C. What is he going to do? Now, these three points, I think, are fascinating, and they help point us to why Jesus is telling us this parable. This is what's happening for this man as Jesus tells the story. He is anticipating what is coming, okay? Uh, okay, I know, I know I'm going to be without a job. I've been fired. There are days ahead that are going to be difficult. I've lost my home, my income, my reputation. Uh, I have no job. That's, that is coming. Now, what are my options? Assess my options. What should I do? And now, act on a plan. So, anticipate, assess, and act. If you could boil the very heart of what Jesus is pushing us to, I think this is what it is. He wants us to anticipate what is coming, to assess what is it that we have? What is it that the, the lay of the land? And then act. Move into action. Okay, let's see how this unfolds. He says, I have decided what to do. He has the aha moment. So that when I am removed from management, people may, may receive me into their homes. So that's his goal. He wants to still uh, kind of save face enough to where he's got people who, who, who will owe him. And they'll, they'll, they'll see him and say, oh, my goodness, yeah, come on in. Come, to, come into our home. That's his goal. So he summons his master's debtors one by one, and he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly. Okay, that's a, that's a really important word. You might underline that in your Bible. Sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, come, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. 
And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Okay, now what is going on here? We've just got to step back from this a second and, and say, the dishonest manager is a wasteful, incompetent squanderer who has lost his job, and rightfully so. And only to add to this now, he is ripping off the master. He, he, is, he is stealing from the master, even on his way out. Why would he do this? We, we've got to feel the indignation of, of the crowd as Jesus speaks these words. They would have been appalled at the behavior of this squandering deceitful, dishonest manager. So to the oil debtor, this is probably olive oil, he gives a 50% discount. He, he cuts the debt by 50%. This man had a tremendous amount of olive oil that he was indebted to this man, either through the purchase of trees or the land or whatever it was, he owed this man a huge amount of olive oil. Uh, the 100 measures would equal about 875 gallons of olive oil. It's about a year and a half of work to produce that much. From uh, John MacArthur estimates about 140 olive trees, somewhere around there. So we're talking a pretty good size operation, and this guy says, I'll cut it in half. Is, is that his money to do this with? He is absolutely stealing what is owed to the master. It's not ethical, just to be clear. This is, this is completely unethical behavior. Now, it gets worse. To the wheat debtor, he gives a 20% discount. But think about this. The value of this wheat far outweighs the value of the olive oil. This is about 1,000 bushels or 100 acres of wheat. The, the, the cost of this is equivalent to about 8 to 10 years of work. And with a word, he gives him a break. Eight to ten years. This is treasonous behavior. No question, no hesitation. Now, apparently, if you kind of get the sense like this wasn't just two people. He called the debtors. And this is an example of a couple that he had interactions with, but it seems like there were more. And he kept this going. So the, the, the master, to be clear, the master is losing a tremendous amount of value in, in, in debt that, that he should rightfully be able to call in. He's losing this. It's interesting that there is no hesitation in those who have the debt. They come to the manager. He says, I tell you what, let's, let's go 50% off. Wow, okay, let's, where do I sign? You know, let's do this. They are in. Quickly, quickly sit down. It's not masked. It seems, seems weird, but they don't protest. They just go with it. Eight to ten years of work, I'm in. Where do I sign? In one act, he both endears these debtors to him, and he creates a debt that, that they now owe him, right? He can now say, hey, I'm calling in a favor. Well, wait a second. Eight to ten years, do you remember that? That was me. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Come on over then. You see, 
This is his shrewd plan. It's as if he could say to all these debtors of the master now, who do you owe now? You don't just owe the master. Now that I'm getting fired, you actually owe me too because of my kindness. In a shame-honor society, this is a big deal. Big deal. For them to not treat him well after this kind of forgiveness of debt, they, they are compelled to receive him into their homes now. And he has accomplished this very shrewdly. Now, a a surprising commendation, verses 8 and 9, a surprising commendation. This is, we're nearing one of those moments where the crowd would have been like, what? You don't have to do it again. It's doing that too much. Just just feel that, though, as we come. Verses 8 and 9. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. At that, the crowds would have been like, wait, what? This guy is crazy. Why would he commend this man for stealing from him so much more on top of all of his wastefulness? That's the point that Jesus wants us to get stuck on. How is it that the master would commend him? And there are so many struggles as people have tried to interpret this parable. What is happening? That can't be. And it is. Look at the words. The master commended the dishonest manager. There's no no saving face here. This man ripped off the master and receives a commendation from him. So we got to see it just the way Jesus lays it out. It's shocking. It's appalling. What does he want us to learn? He commends him for his shrewdness. The basis of the commendation is not because he was dishonest. That's not what is being commended here. He sinned greatly against the master. The basis of the commendation is the shrewdness of his activity. And in that culture, even today, there is a a premium placed on just shrewdness, being being, shrewdness. calculating and smart in the way that you interact even if what you're doing is wrong so uh, I don't know how you could come up with a like a modern day example of this if you got fired from your job and you found a way to kind of weasel out more money but in your severance package and and your employer on the way out the door said well you you you, you turned that pink slip into some money didn't you way, way to go you know, it's not like, I'm so proud of you. What an awesome ethical behavior that was. It's, well, that's pretty impressive. Honestly, I got to give it to you. It's like that. I'm commending you for thinking up a plan that could create debtors of mine and make them debtors of you for the years ahead, for what is coming. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And then Jesus adds this, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Okay, that's us. Now we're in this parable. We're the sons of light. We're the followers, the disciples. And Jesus is pointing to us and saying, we should be shrewd like this man was shrewd. Not dishonest, not stealing thieves or incompetent, you know, managers, dishonest in that way, but calculating, 
thinking it through. And so you come back to this. We should be, the sons of light in this generation should be anticipating what is to come, assessing what we have, what's in view, and then acting in in a consistent way. Not just squandering, but shrewd, thinking it through. In a sense, Jesus is telling us we are to be wise, intelligent, prudent, calculating sons of light and daughters of light, attentive, diligent, perceptive. Pay attention, believers. This world that you are living in will issue very quickly into eternity. An unending future lies before us. These short years that we are given here have eternal implications. Not just heaven and hell, but even after that, decisions we make as believers, as followers of Christ, can can lay up treasure in heaven that will never fade. Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That's, That's what you've got in your wallet, right? Unrighteous wealth. That's just the coinage, even though it says in God we trust, it's, it's just natural wealth or unrighteous wealth, money. Make friends for yourselves with what you've been given, unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, and I love that line, friends, oh, how we have to remember that line. When it fails, not if it fails, it will fail. When it does, those friends that you have made may receive you into eternal dwellings. These are very interesting words of Jesus. This is what I think his point is. His point is that it's not that somehow the people sitting around you are going to save your soul and be the reason you get into heaven. His point is is that you can leverage what God has so graciously entrusted to you to steward in such a way that benefits the kingdom, those in this room, those beyond all to the ends of the earth, in such a way that as as you pass from this life into the next, you will be received with joy into the kingdom. You could say it like this. Find a way to leverage what God has blessed you with to make an eternal kingdom impact. An eternal kingdom impact. I was just struck as we studied in second, uh, is it second Corinthians? Yeah, not first, second Corinthians with our men's and women's Bible study this week. There is a, a set of verses in there that point to how glorious it will be that, that eternity will be shared together, we, that we get to experience eternity together. Now, the, the main joy of, of our eternal bliss is Christ. But a a part of that build-out that comes from that is our joy together in Christ, how we've grown together, persevered together, journeyed through this life together, leveraged what God has entrusted to us together for kingdom purpose and for kingdom joy. It reminds us of this reoccurring teaching that Jesus gave in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and and thieves break in and steal. But instead, instead, if you want to build a kingdom, don't follow Joel Osteen. 
and live your best life now. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, and this is, this is a, a kind of a, a foreshadowing of where Jesus' train of thought is going even in this passage. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be warned. It's easy for your heart to be called by currency, to be called to, to, to follow and to make the master out of the money. You don't want that. You want a kingdom that will not fade, an invincible reward that can be laid up this week, friends. Think of that. There are things that you can do with what God has given you that when you do them even this week will secure for you reward in heaven that will never fade. We're talking eternal blessing. It's mind-blowing. It's an incredible opportunity that we have. Charles Simeon, the great British preacher, said it this way, be diligent in his service, believers. We see how diligent worldlings, we don't use that word, but, but the world is in the service of the world. Let us not be surpassed by them, Christians. We have a far better master and an infinitely richer reward. You see, what that's, that's what Jesus is doing here. That's the whole push of this parable. Live your days purposefully. Leverage what God has given with intention and, and resolute uh, just tenacity. There is a greater reward, and we have a master that is far greater than money could ever be. Now, character, not quantity. Character, not quantity. Verse 10 through 12. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? Oh, I love these words. I just had to underline them even as I put them on the screen. Look at the comparison, right? Look at the comparison. Think of the American dream, friends. Think of the, the, what, what America, this, this American dream is that, that, that everybody just chases after with all that they are. They give, just give themselves to. It is summed up in unrighteous wealth. And Jesus says, you want true riches? Let's talk about what's coming. True riches cannot be found right now on this earth. They are to come, and they can be stored up. If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is not your own? So he's calling us not to be squanderers, but wise, shrewd managers, stewards of that which we have been entrusted with, which, can we say this? Nothing that we have is truly ours to own. It's His. It's His. All that I have is yours. We've been entrusted with it. How can we leverage it? What can it look like to do this? 
sometimes it's, we're tempted to say, well, boy, Lord, if I only had just you know, a little more, then I could, I could do more. I, I could give more. You see what Jesus is saying? Show me what you do with the little you have. And then let me decide about the more. Right? It's not about someday. Well, someday when I have more time, you know, I'm just too busy. I just have things going on. I, I'm in this season of life. This, uh, just work with what the little you have. Honor me there. It's about character, not quantity. It's about what we do with what we've been entrusted. Now, certainly, I, I watched guys in California. We were in a very affluent area. Uh, these people had millions of dollars. Some of these guys in our church made millions. And they were able, by the glory of, of, of grace of God and to his glory, rightfully, they were able to do a lot. I was amazed at some of the things these guys were able to do, to write checks and pay for things, just boom, boom, boom. And they did that to the glory of God in ways that, that others who had very little couldn't. But you remember the, the widow with two pennies? It's not the quantity. It's the character. It's the heart of worship. Lord, I have nothing that is not from you. All that I have is yours. What, whatever I have, I want to leverage for your kingdom. Hmm. Maybe the question to ask instead would be this. What am I doing with what I have been given? What am I doing? How, how can I take what you have entrusted so generously and graciously and leverage that then for your kingdom? And we need to think beyond just money, right? Th think kingdom work. There is money involved, absolutely. We've got missionaries all around the world, and they depend upon our resources reaching them. The, the, the work we do locally, it requires money to keep the lights on. That, that's part of it. But that's just a part of it, friends. Your talents, the gifts that God has given you, how can you leverage those? Well, how can you be purposeful and intentional with the time that you have? Even just the small amounts of time here or there. Your testimony. Your testimony. Who, who gave that to you? That's God's authorship. He wrote it. That's his writing, his story, and he entrusted it to you. He gave you a testimony that is to be stewarded, employed, leveraged for kingdom purposes in this short life. Don't squander it, friends. Make the most of it. Take every opportunity. Speak up. And tell them about Jesus. Now, Jesus closes with this incredible warning, so clear, which master will we serve? Verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for he will uh, hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he just pulls back the curtain and he t tells us what he's talking about. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. The religious channel confirms this far too often. Far too often. Those who go around claiming and employing the, the name or even the, uh, the, the power or the authority of Jesus and charge money for it, 
they reveal which master they serve. It's nothing new, friends. Benny Hinn, right? The long line of these who have, who have, who have taken from the poorest of the poor, robbing them blind and leaving them with not even the gospel. Coming home with money in the bank. Flying on private jets. If you haven't watched the documentary American Gospel, I highly recommend it. It is excellent. It is so good. It, it pulls back the curtain on this prosperity gospel craziness. Now, not everything on the religious channels are in this category, but be discerning, friends. So much of this is people who are serving money and using God to that end. We are to be a people who do just the opposite. We are to serve God and use our money. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. Don't desire to be rich, friends. Don't. I mean, that's the warning here. Don't desire it. Don't give your heart, your longing, all of your work days to just riches and fame. Those who desire to rich fall into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Not money itself, the love of it. It's the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Think of that. Gain the whole world and lose your eternal future. For what? Your best life now? Really? Don't fall for it, friends. It comes down to this. Will we serve money and use God, or will we serve God and use money? We are to bow before one, the Almighty God, not the Almighty dollar. When you go to work, preach this to your heart. I am not here to exchange my life, my energy, my time for cash. That is not what's happening. I am honoring, worshiping, glorifying God in the labor I give. This is an act of worship. My occupation is worship in action. I'm doing it for you, Lord, first and foremost. And then I trust you to provide for those needs as you supply and when you bless, we praise you. And when it's hard and, and the job is, is tough or the pay isn't there, we trust you, not the dollar. Oh, friends, so much in this that we can put to work. I don't want to communicate that somehow I'm against working hard and making money. We just have to be careful. We have to be paying attention to our hearts. Where is my heart? What is the whisper of that paycheck? How am I going to employ those things for something that's truly lasting? Just call our attention to our king. We have a king, friends. We have a king. He is invincible. He took on himself our sin. He died our death paid it in full, and he is alive. He is ruling and reigning. We live, friends, as we are surrendered to his lordship and walking with, we live in his kingdom right here. 
is a, is a, 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 a display of the kingship of Christ. Breaking into our world is the kingdom of Christ. And he calls us to basically just, don't forget that. Live with that reality. There is a king on the throne in your life. Everywhere you go, you have an opportunity to, to make an impact for his kingdom. And it is a truly incredible opportunity. He chooses to use us to accomplish the, the furtherance of his kingdom. That's mind-blowing to me. Who are we that we would be invited into the work of God with that kind of significance? We're the nobodies, and yet he says, I am going to work through you to shine the light of the gospel and take it to the ends of the earth. He doesn't need our money, but he delights to use our money. He doesn't need our gifts and talents, but he delights to use them to accomplish his sovereign and preordained purposes. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. And he will accomplish every purpose he has set out. There are good works, friends, that he has prepared in advance, beforehand. They've been prepared for you, that you would walk in them and do them. What an awesome opportunity. So yes, money possessions. Don't bow to those things. Use those things for kingdom purposes. Talents and time. Don't become self-absorbed and obsessed with your own talents and time. Leverage it. Push it out. Lord, how can I take this time? I love it when I see people. We've got so many in our church. They're thinking about retirement in, in exterior ways. It's not just, I put in my time, now I get my time. It's, i got some time on my hands. How can I use it now? What can I do to make an impact for the kingdom? And your testimony, friends. Be bold with the gospel. You've been entrusted with an incredible story, a powerful story that can be shared, that God can use to bring people to salvation. Let's be the kind of people who say no to squandering and yes to faithful stewardship. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this parable. What a fascinating way to communicate this point, Lord. We thank you for the brilliance of Jesus, even the display of that in the telling of this story the way he did. We thank you for his love for us in communicating this to us and, and even giving us these warnings. We're, we're receiving them this morning, Lord, by your grace. Oh, Father, thank you for your patience with us because our hearts are so fickle. We, we, we see clearly now, but we can so easily just walk out of here and just fall back into this this American just autopilot instinct that we are surrounded with. This, this American dream is so strong and it pulls and tugs. And yet, Lord, we are to be first and foremost followers of Christ, Christians above all else. We acknowledge that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We understand at, at, at the base level of our identity that we are yours and that, that we are stewards. We are your servants. We, we have been entrusted with tremendous opportunities here. I pray that you would help us to make the most. 
Lord, you are glorified in the display of these people and the generosity that we have seen this year and the years that have led up to this. And Lord, I, I give praise to you for your work in us together already. This church is to be commended, Lord, for their lavish generosity, both in finances and in serving and action and, and leveraging what you have blessed them with, Lord. I pray that you would take us even farther into this joy, into this laying up of eternal treasure so that we could, could never look back and say, well, we, we wasted those years or we, we wasted that money or we wasted those gifts. Help us to make the most of every day. Oh, Lord, give wisdom in these things. Help us to be creative, to, to be shrewd and calculating and purposeful with all the ways that you work and the things that you give. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.